This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. How many of you know the story of the prodigal son? Is there anybody that doesn't know that story? I mean, it's been told so many times in so many different ways. Hollywood tells that story in almost... You know, in, in a large portion of their movies, you see the story of the prodigal son. You see the son that went away and comes back. And you see the son who stayed and, you know, was embittered. And, and so we all, we all are familiar with the story. So I'm not going to preach the story or read the story. But for the sake of the title of my message, that Jesus feeds the hungry. And are you hungry? What, what is that story really about? Well, for me, the story of the prodigal son is the story concerning these two boys that the younger son found that physical hunger starved his soul while the elder son found that spiritual hunger hardened his heart did you get that the physical hunger in the younger son starved his soul It eventually brought him to his senses and he realized that, wait a minute, I need to go back to my father's house. While the older son, who had everything, became lean spiritually. That's the problem with abundance and blessing. I can tell you that Zimbabwe will come into a season now of unprecedented blessing. The problem problem with that is that you've been hungry for so long that you may starve something else if you aren't careful with what's about to happen. David said it this way. He said, don't let me be so poor that I forget you, God, but don't let me become so rich. Or he says, don't let me become so rich that I forget you. Don't let me become so poor that I become a thief. You know, food and hunger and starvation whether it be physical or spiritual starvation or hunger, does something to people. We're fasting. Many of us have chosen to fast. Some of us are doing different fasts. We've recommended a 21-day fast for the church. We began that on the 4th. We'll finish on the 24th. Others of us have chosen to do full fasts over a period of seven days or a three-day fast. You know, it's not how long you fast. You don't twist God's arm. You don't change God when you fast. You know, God, God's not up there saying, ah, 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 ah. You know. But fasting is a discipline for you. Fasting is for you to become who God wants you to become. Fasting is to set your heart in alignment with, for the things of God. Fasting aligns itself with Isaiah 58, as, Pastor, or as Brother Nigel read this morning. There is a God kind of fast. Fasting is a hunger for more of God. You're putting aside your flesh to say, God, I want more of you. Uh, In Matthew 9, verses 14 through 15, the Bible says, Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can't the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, 
and then they will fast. Well, this is that time. This is that season. While Jesus is in heaven, that's the season when we, his disciples, are supposed to fast. John Piper wrote a book called Hunger for God. And he said this, he said, the birthplace of Christian fasting is homesickness for God. He says, therefore, when I say that the root of Christian fasting is the hunger of homesickness for God, I mean that we will do anything and go without anything by any means we might protect ourselves from the deadening effects of innocent delights and preserve the sweet longings of our homesickness for God. I don't know if you've ever felt that. But there have been times when I have been in the midst of everybody reveling and rejoicing and doing whatever they're doing. And I say, this is so empty. This is so unfulfilling. And there's a homesickness for the presence of God. There's a sickness inside of me that says, oh, if I could, you know, and, 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 and I, I'm sensing that more and more and more. You know, I, I think there was a song or a hymn that was once sung that said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. And, and, and that's what happens when you begin to replace the hunger for natural things for this hunger for God, the things of this world become very dissatisfying. You know, I'm watching even as our nation is unfolding and everybody's grappling for the next dollar to make the next deal to who's going to have influence. Guys, let me tell you something. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But you're deceiving yourself if you think that godliness is great gain. Now, God wants you to be blessed. God wants abundance for you. But let me just warn you. Now is a season to follow and be led by the Holy Spirit. And not let the appetites of the flesh swallow you up. Just tap your neighbor. Say, you know, you're in church for a reason today. He's talking to you. Make sure they know it's not about you. Just say, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's not me. You know, Jesus, as we begin to see the beginning of his ministry, he began traveling throughout Galilee. And people began to flock to him from around uh, the whole region, looking for some kind of a miracle or some kind of a touch from him. He was healing the sick. He was delivering those who were possessed of demons. He was freeing people from every race, every tribe, every condition imaginable. And anybody who was bound or tormented, Jesus was meeting their needs. And then suddenly we see the story shift and, 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 and the, 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 the sphere of his influence and the sphere of his ministry begins to enlarge. And people from Galilee and from uh, the Decapolis, the ten nations of the diaspora, uh, from Jerusalem and beyond the regions of the Jordan, the Bible says, began to come to him. And the Bible says when he saw the multitude, he sat down on a high mountain and began to teach. His disciples gathered around him and Jesus began to express some of the most powerful words that we have 
in the scriptures. If you'll turn with me to your Bibles to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Go ahead and open your Bibles. Does everybody have a real Bible today? Hold your Bible up. Say, this is my real Bible. It's not my electronic Bible. It's my real Bible. When the electronics fail, this will still be here. Tell your neighbor, I read a real Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Now find Matthew chapter 5, okay? This is known as the, uh, the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount, or uh, we, we call it Mount Beatitudes. When, when we travel to Israel, uh, and we'll be going there this year, some of you will want to join us. But when we go there, we actually go to this place. It's an amazing place because you can see it says Jesus sat on a mountain, and there's a, there's a certain mountain there where you can sit, and his voice goes down. You're, you can hear your voice all the way down by the, the, the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's a beautiful setting, and we'll go there, and we'll have a time to pray, and we have a time to meditate, and we have a time to, of fellowship at this place. We even tell the story of what happened on the Mount of Beatitudes. But here's what Jesus taught. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In the midst of all these verses, there's one that stands out, and I'm going to touch that today. In verse 6, it says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You know, when he said this, he wasn't talking about some kind of a snack hunger. How many of you ever had the munchies? Snack hunger, you know, it's like, I gotta have something to eat. Uh, I have to confess, there's times that I'll come back from working out at the gym and I sit in my office and I think, I just want something besides a banana today. <laughs> and, uh, this is true confessions. I'll send Faye and I'll say, please, send somebody to get a chocolate bar for me. You know, that snack munchy thing. I, I don't know what it is about that, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. You know, he wasn't talking about just needing something to pacify your desire, your hunger. He was talking about a kind of a, a deep hunger. In fact, the, the word here is almost a starvation. Somebody who is starving. Somebody who is so hungry. Blessed are those who are hunger and thirst after righteousness. For those are the kind of people that will be filled. Basically he says that when you become empty within yourself and you're desperate, then you'll be filled. You know, our Walk with God can't be one out of contentment. Hey, I have, I mean, God wants us content, but if you're not hungry for God, God, God doesn't want lukewarm. He doesn't like this idea of, you know, hey, complacency. I can take it or leave it. I'm not really that hungry. I'm not, I don't really need God, but I do my duty with God. You see, what Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about an intense desire to know God. To know his holiness and to apply that holiness to, their, to our lives. That's the kind of hunger that can't be filled with the mundane, the ordinary of life. 
It's the kind of hunger that says, worldly pleasures can't satisfy me. Dried up or boring religious process or service can't take care of my hunger. And I remember when I was five years old and when we were little, my mom and dad, we went to church every Sunday. We were never late. We never left early. We were good religious people. And when I was five, I made the deepest vow I could make at that time. I remember laying on my bed as a five-year-old saying, God, I'll even be a priest for you. Now, you've got to understand, for a little Catholic boy, that's about as far as you can go. I didn't know what I was talking about, but that was in my heart. And I had a longing for God. But I, as I grew up in my religion, I began to lose touch with God, and I began to get caught up in the trappings of all the religion. And I thought, this isn't right. Because religion can never satisfy a hunger for God. Church can't take the place of a hunger for God. And if you think that coming to this church is going to satisfy your hunger for God, you're mistaken. If you think that coming to church somehow satisfies your relationship with God, you're deceived. Church is not the answer. Jesus has always been the answer and a relationship with him and a hunger that stems out of that. Now, we try to help you here in the church. We're not a perfect church, a perfectly good church, but we're not perfect. But we're here to try to help you find a place where we can teach you and train you and mentor you. And now with the help of Dr. Surf, coach you. And coaching simply means, hey, we're looking at you and saying, Let's help you become the very best you can be for God. We can see things as coaches that you may not be able to see as just a normal disciple. But what I'm trying to say is that there comes a time when church can't satisfy. Just coming to church doesn't do it. And if you think you're bored with church, it's because God's putting a hunger in you for him. Church can never take the place of relationship with the Son of God. Amen? So when you get to where you want God's power, his righteousness, his sovereignty, and his holiness more than life itself, then you're going to be in a position to be filled up. You know, I'm a historian. I study history a lot. And, uh, one of the great wars in America was called the, is the Civil War. And it tore America apart. More people were killed in the Civil War than almost all the wars that, we, that America ever fought. 500,000 men were killed in the Civil War. And uh, it got so bad that there were kind of like concentration camps or they were prisoner of war camps and there was one called Andersonville Andersonville prison and uh, the men had been in this prison and the, they were hungry there was no food the, it was coming towards the end of the war and, and uh, the, the men in the prison were southern gentlemen they were, they, they were northern and southern gentlemen you have to understand this was the age of chivalry this was the age when men 
carried themselves and respected women and respected each other. And, and there was a kind of a, uh, almost a righteousness about war. Uh, there were rules of war. But by the end of this war, it became so brutal and so bitter. And this prison had no food. And uh, one of the survivors of the Andersonville prison related how hunger had gradually begun to strip away from the starving prisoners the principles of honor and the principles of chivalry and humanity, which they would have probably retained and had under different circumstances. He tells the story of how two men who had been best friends and comrades during the war and how within their terrible prison stockade lay side by side growing weaker and weaker, each eagerly waiting for the other to die so that he might seize a handful of the other's rations, the beans and the bread that they were being fed. Impatient, one of the prisoners whose strength was a little bit greater rose up and he choked his comrade to death only to exhaust himself in the process and die within a few minutes of murdering his friend. It's amazing what hunger can do to people. Hunger can bring out the worst in us, but I think it can also bring out the best in us. You know, I've reached a point in my life, and I believe I'm, I've reached a point in my ministry where I really don't want second best. And I'm not interested in leftover blessings. Do you know what leftovers are? I had a friend, he was a French Mauritian, and uh, he was a sugarcane farmer. And one night we were talking about leftovers, and I said, how do you say leftovers in French? He said, leftovers. <laughs> leftovers? I said, oh, and that became a great joke between us. Leftovers? Leftovers? Could we have some leftovers? But you know, how many of you know that leftovers are always leftovers? I don't want leftovers. I don't want to just come to church and sing a couple of songs and preach a nice little sermon and say a little prayer. You know, we were taught in Bible school that a good homiletics is a poem, a prayer, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, three points, a poem, a prayer, and a promise. You know, that's a good message. I don't believe that. I believe that God wants to speak through his pastors. God wants to speak through each and every one of us. That this is a relationship that we're supposed to be a prophetic people. And that you have to be hungry to get that. I don't want to just settle for a routine, a format. I want to get touched by the presence of the Lord. And I want to touch others with the presence of the Lord. I desire for each and every one of you and each and every one of us to be engulfed in his glory. When I'm at home, I don't want to sit on edge and be on edge about everything, but I want to do what Paul said. I want to live in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. When I'm in my prayer or my devotion time, I don't want to just pray so that I can say that I prayed. How many of you are doing that? How many of you just, oh yeah, I, I pray. You know, your, your daily reading isn't so you can just tick the box on the daily reading. It's not just so you can say, I prayed, I, I, I read my Bible, I, I did my duty. 
there's got to be something more. I, 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 I want to feel his anointing. I want to know that I've touched heaven and that heaven has touched me. See, I want to build up my faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, as Jude says. Jude says, building up your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. I want you to know I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm starving for God. But I know this, hallelujah, he's going to fill me. And he's going to fill you if you're hungry, if you're hungry. Kind of reminds me of the story about this uh, guy and he was telling a story, he was feeling excited about, uh, he's telling a story about an, an exciting Russian experience. He'd been up on the dog sleds in Siberia, had been hunting, and he was telling the story about how his dog sled was pursued over the frozen, wasted pack of ice, and uh, he had uh, at least a dozen famished wolves chasing him and chasing his dog sleigh. And he arose and he took his gun and he shot the lead wolf. And all the wolves jumped on that wolf and began to eat that wolf. And he sped ahead on his sleigh. And soon they caught up with him. And so he shot the second wolf and sped away on his sleigh. And soon they caught up with him again. And 11 times he shot. And 11 times he shot. He, 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 he. Killed a wolf and they began to eat that wolf. And he, he was repeating this story. And uh, finally a guy says, hey, you know, one of the listeners broke in and said, hey, pal, according to your reckoning, that last famished wolf must have had at least 11 more on the inside of him. <laughs> he says, well, come to think of it, maybe he wasn't that famished after all. And, and you know, for me, that's kind of the, feel I get sometimes in church we say we're hungry but I think we're eating sometimes and not really satisfying ourselves not really eating from the right places some of you are eating junk food I'm telling you many of you still have problems running after false prophets. You think that somebody else is going to spoon feed you. Can I tell you something? Real hunger doesn't need a prophet. Real hunger gets satisfied when it touches God himself. When God speaks to you. Some of you think that all the self-help books in the bookstore are going to help you. I believe in studying, I believe in reading, and that can start satisfying your hunger. But listen to what the Bible says. Psalm 42, it says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for the prophets. Oh, no, no, that doesn't say that, does it? So my soul pants for the bookstore. No, so my soul pants for you, oh God. I'm after God. Psalm 63, verse 1 says, Oh God. You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Can I tell you something? When you get a hold of God, you won't need anything else. You won't need anyone else. Psalm 84 verse 2. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. 
my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. I, I love David. This is the man after God's own heart. He says, I cry out for God. I see some of you, you're so hungry. Man, I tell you, and it blesses my soul. But some of you are content, you're happy. And you know what? You're toying and playing and you think you're going to get fed here and there and everywhere. You're never going to be satisfied till you get a hold of God himself. Psalm 107 says, for he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. <laughs> How thirsty are you? How hungry are you? Because if you're not thirsty or hungry, you're not going to be satisfied with good things. You see, the psalmist says he wanted God more than life itself. When you get like that, I tell you, that's when God's going to move. He's going to fill you up. He's going to overflow you with his blessings, with his, with his life, with his presence. He's just that kind of God. You know, he doesn't want us to go around walking around empty. But he wants us to be full of him, full of life. But the way this happens is when you let him get all the stuff out of you that's not of him. And then you turn around and you let him fill you up with all that is him. That's why we are doing this time of prayer and fasting. It's saying, God, I'm going to take all the stuff that is not of you. I'm going to silence my body. I'm going to silence my flesh. And I'm going to let you deal with the real issues of my attitude, the real issues of my heart. See, it was John who said about Jesus he says, I come to baptize you in water. He says, but there's one coming after me that will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. In the Holy Ghost and fire. And you see, what he does is he comes and he takes the fire and he begins to help empty your soul. It's a painful process. The fire of God burns out and reveals and cleanses and purifies and like silver tried in the furnace of the earth seven times. That's what God's trying to do is purify you and purify your thoughts, your intents. So as you're fasting, as you're praying, as you're seeking God, as we're going into this prayer conference, let's be hungry for what God has. But once he's purified you, once he's begun to burn out the chafe, burn out the, 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 the residues, the, the dross out of your life, guess what? Now you're ready to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm looking for. And I know that's what many of you are looking forward to. And that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do as a church this year. Now let me tell you a little secret. Your appetite is going to determine the direction and the course of your life. Think about that. Your appetite is what will determine the course and the direction of your life. I've seen people whose appetite has been for money. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. There's a passage that says that people pursuing money have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Jesus said you cannot serve both God and 
and mammon, God and money. You see, here's what I want to say. When you begin to hunger desperately for God, then he will begin to give you direction, purpose, and meaning to your life. You know how I know that? Because Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. What was the other things? He was talking about everything that the pagans, everything that this world is seeking after, houses and clothes and cars and money and, and, and food and all these things. When you're hungering for those things, you're missing the real thing. But he says, hey, if you'll hunger for me, if you'll hunger for my kingdom, if you'll be hungry for God, he says, I'll give you all these other things. You see, when you seek him with your whole heart, when you become desperate for him, he'll not only give you his righteousness, but everything you need. Last week we talked about repentance. Can I tell you something? Repentance leads to righteousness. The reason I want you to repent is so that our hearts can be. Uh, and by the way, repentance isn't something you do. Repentance is a way of life for the Christian. We're constantly catching ourselves and repenting. Constantly stopping and saying, oh, that was wrong. Catch yourself. Check yourself. Check yourself. Repent. Right there. Stop. Say, no, that was wrong. Amen. I was talking to my son the other day and he said, you know, uh, we were talking about, and I know I'm on a goose chase here a little bit, but it, it, it speaks to me. He said, you know, Dad, he says, when we were, um, when I meet certain people that I know that they have ought against the church or they have ought against uh, me or something, he says, you know, I've learned just to walk up to them and say, hey, let's just talk about that and get it in the open as quickly as I can. He says, because once we get it in the open, then it's behind us. But that awkward avoiding each other, that awkward, he says, no, we can repent. Hey, I, he said, and he told me some stories of people he had to come back to that he'd broken relationship with or fellowship with or said something to. And he just went and said, hey, you know that thing that happened a few years ago? He says, can we make that right? He says, I'm really sorry. I want to just tell you I want to apologize. Nine times out of ten, the person says, oh, I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad that we got that air cleared. And guess what? The relationship is restored. A Christian has that kind of attitude. A believer is constantly open to that kind of change. But you won't have that if you're not hungry for God because you don't care if you're blocked. You don't care if you're carrying baggage if you're not hungry. But when you're hungry it makes all the difference in the world. When you get to the point that you're starving for God he gives you the provision, the healing, the blessings, the strength, the anointing. The Bible tells us, seek him and you'll find him. Just seek him. Seek after him. He'll fill you. Isaiah 55 verse 1 says, come all who are thirsty. Come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. I've always been shocked at this. How do you buy without money? How do you buy without cost? Well, that's kind of a paradoxical statement because there's always a cost involved. How many of you know when you buy something, you're paying something? So what do we pay with? 
I'll tell you how you pay. An appetite, a hunger. God will not resist a hungry man. God will not not bless somebody who's hungry. God loves us. Revelation 22, verses 17, the second half of the verse says, whoever or whosoever will, whosoever will, tap your neighbor and say, are you a whosoever today? That, do we all qualify? Whosoever will, let him take the waters of life freely. But again, I'm telling you, it's not free. Because even if I lead you to the water, the old ad it says you can take a horse to the water, but you can't make it drink. I can lead you to the water, but you got to drink it. You got to do your part. You got to be thirsty. You got to be hungry. Let me tell you, as a church and as the people of God, You and I are called to be vessels to carry and spill out the presence of the Lord everywhere. I think sometimes we forget just how powerful we are. I think sometimes we forget just how powerful God in us is. I think sometimes we forget just how perceptive God made us to be. Our goal as a church, and I think your goal as a believer, should be that every time someone leaves our church or leaves our presence, they're going to leave with something from God. You see, the reason being, people are looking everywhere for something to change or to satisfy their lives. Everywhere I go, people are looking for something to fill up the hunger that's on the inside of them. What a tragedy it would be if somebody walked into this place and left without receiving abundant life. Left without receiving power and strength. But instead, you left out cold, untouched, and unmoved. How many times do you come to church and you just say, ah, that was a waste of time. I don't ever want that to happen here. And if that's happening, then that speaks of the message I bring, but it also speaks of you as the members of the church. There are people sitting next to you today that are hungry and they don't know it. They're starving in their spirits. Some are like prodigal sons. They're living in the world. and They just haven't come to their senses yet. They're in church, but they're still so worldly that they think that this is going to last forever. But they need you. There's others who are in the house and you become, you've been so faithful for so long that now you resent the ones that are coming. The elder brother. My prayer is that God would touch every visitor, every member that walks through the doors of this church. To the point that when they leave here, they know that this place and that the people here are anointed of the Holy Ghost. And that they know that God is real and that God abides with his people. Oh, that God would give us signs and wonders and miracles. 
Oh, that conviction would fill the room. Oh, that the anointing would pour down in our worship of God and his presence would be felt so that every service would be fresh and relevant and power-packed. That's my desire for our church. That's our desire for this year, that we would end up in the presence of God. Can I tell you something? People need to feel the power of God. Luke 11 says this, and I'm going to close. Which of you fathers, speaking of natural fathers, if if your son asked for a fish, would you give him a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? As a believer and as a church, we need to offer what will satisfy people's desperation. Our nation's desperate right now. People are desperate. People are hungry. They don't even know what they're hungry for sometimes. I can tell you this. If people come to this church and they're hungry and they get fed, they'll continue to come. And not only that, but they'll continue to tell others to come as well. Tell people, hey, you can come to church and get fed. What are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? That's a good question. What are you hungry for? Do you need forgiveness, grace, and mercy? Are you hungry for a revival? Do you want to see miracles, signs, and wonders? God's doing it, and he'll continue to do it if we get desperate for him. If we say, God, I want this more than life itself. Desperate people will do anything to get fed. What will you do to get fed today? What will you do? Here's what I want to do right now. I'd like you all just to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. I want you to think about this. How hungry am I? How hungry am I for God? Not for church, not for religion. For God. How hungry am I? Right where you're sitting, ask yourself that question. Just be still. Be still. still. How hungry am I? Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.